Welcome, everyone, to another episode of A Guest at the Past, 1892. We're covering today some of the more interesting true crime stories of the first three weeks of November. First up, a true crime that will be explored in further detail on an upcoming episode of Most Notorious. This is a news story off the wire, and I will be reading it from the November 15th issue of the Wilkes Bar Record in Pennsylvania. The headline, 10 years old and a murderer. A Colorado boy who shot a companion for a watch. Denver, Colorado, November 14th, special to the Associated Press. The case of Anton Wood, the 10-year-old boy who murdered Joseph Smith of this city when they were hunting rabbits near Brighton, November 2nd, is exciting a great deal of interest now that people have turned their attention from election matters to other things. Wood is believed to be the youngest boy that ever killed a man in this country for the purpose of robbing, and those who are watching him closely in his confinement believe him to be a mere imbecile. He will be tried for murder, and his parents, as accessories after the fact, will also be tried. They are Poles. The father worked in a brickyard, and Anton was always comfortably provided for. He is a good-looking, rosy-cheeked boy, tall for his age, with a high forehead and intelligent face. He tells a story of his crime in a most matter-of-fact way. I never saw Joe Smith before the day I killed, Anton says. He had a pretty watch, and I wanted it. We were hunting rabbits. He was walking ahead of me, and I shot him in the back. He did not know I was going to shoot. I was about ten feet from him. I aimed right at the back of his head. He just threw up his hands and fell down. He did not say anything at all. Then I went up to him and took his watch and his gun. Then I walked home. It was an open face watch. I knew nobody could see me. I did not tell anybody what I had done. Not even Mama. I never went back to where he lay. I knew he was lying there in the field. But I was afraid to go back. I was afraid I would be caught. If they would let me out of jail, I would not kill anybody else. I'm sorry I did it. I did not know they would do anything to me for it. I did not know it was wrong to kill him. I wanted the watch. You would kill anybody for a pretty watch, wouldn't you? He was asked. Yes, said the little fellow decidedly. Would you kill that cellmate of yours for a watch? No, he answered. He's too nice, but I would kill anybody I did not know. The boy broke down and cried frequently while lisping this tale. Anton's parents have been respectable folks all their lives. They came from New York when the boy was one year old. Jurists 
doctors, and ministers, men who have made crime their life study, are very much puzzled over this case and are wondering what the courts will do with this boy murderer. Next, an update on the Lizzie Borden case. A grand jury began hearing evidence in the case on November 7th to decide whether there was enough there to indict her for murder. Much of what was going on, of course, was a secret. But an announcement was made in the Fall River Daily Herald on November 18th that the jury had arrived in Fall River, having come from Taunton, where the grand jury was being held, to view the Borden premises personally. In what certainly created a whole new round of anxiety for Tina Davis's mother and family, James A. Trefethen was granted a new trial to be held in East Cambridge at the beginning of December. The case will be heard before three judges. Trefethen continued to be held in the East Cambridge House of Correction, and the warden said that he was the most well-behaved prisoner in the facility, according to the November 14th edition of the Boston Globe. Okay, on a slightly humorous note, an advertisement for your listening pleasure, placed by the famous shoe and clothing company in the Newton Daily, Kansan, page three. Evidently, this business had been in a recent war of words with a competitor. They, in turn, ran a two-page advertisement to counter the falsities they believe were levied against them. So here it is. The fake cost sale. It ran. Tries hard to insult us for the purpose of advertising himself by publishing lies. We further were compelled to give him a good dose of medicine, and we hope in the future they will always come out with the truth, as liars never prosper. We have deposited $1,000 in the Newton National Bank which will be forfeited to anyone who will prove that we are not selling only first-class clothing, hats, caps, shoes, and gents furnishing goods. The advertisement then goes on to talk about their newest sale, which they have called the Foul Murder Sale. (laughs) This is what ripped him open, it reads. 341 men's imported all-wool worsted pants in stripes, plainer check, tailor-made, neat pattern, foul murder sale, $3.98, and so on. You get the idea. And it continues. Excuse our language, which we use in our advertisement, as it is gotten up for the purpose of defending our rights against a firm which has no principle. Our overgrown snail, fake cost sale competitor, who says we are pawnbrokers, is a liar, in capital letters, and the truth is not in them, and we dare them to deny it, as they say in their ad. We sell you goods at prices that rip his back open. He gives you a song and dance in the newspapers to read, but we dare him to quote prices. We propose to bury 
or fake cost sale competitor for good. And the funeral will take place Saturday, November 12, 1892. We propose to bury him by giving you all wool suits for $6.90, their price $15. We propose to bury him by giving you better goods for 25% less than he does. The reason of his death was this. They could do no business, and so they thought they could get up a fake cost sale in order to deceive the people. The first thing they did, they marked paper collars down and marked suits up, and his gallbladder burst (laughs) and overflowed his brains, and he perishes. And his death was caused by a gall burst, superinduced by a spasmodic attempt to sell goods as cheap as the famous shoe and clothing company. At the time he met his death, he was marking down socks and marking up overcoats. At the time of his death, he was marking down collar buttons and marking up pants. He was saying to one of his clerks, I'll catch those suckers' money, and you will sell them on Ding's sheep. They dink every Ding is sheep. Cheap, I assume. But then they found out that the famous shoe and clothing company has been and is selling better goods for less money than he paid for. His gall bursted and death claimed him. He is now out shoveling coal for his Satan's majesty. I gotta say that again. He is, he is now out shoveling coal for his Satan's majesty. His false cost sale displays his storefront with a show of shelf-worn pants and sells them at $1.25. And when he found out the famous was selling new goods for 78 cents, his gall bursted. He displays his front with husking gloves marked 75 cents a pair. And when he found out the famous sells a better one for 48 cents, his gall bursted. His life was insured for six bits until the insurance company got leery of his condition and fearing he might blow up, they canceled the risk. This is the greatest, foulest murder sale ever inaugurated by mankind and will be in force for 30 days. We will cut and slash without mercy with the knife to the hilt are the instructions given to our salesman in charge of this sale. (sighs) I've never seen anything like this before. (laughs) Uh, This guy obviously hated (laughs) his competitor with a passion and took it out on him in a paid advertisement in a small Kansas newspaper. That's how you handle the competition, I guess, in Newton, Kansas. So, to finish off today's episode, a few strange and titillating stories. These will be read from the Wood County Reporter, Grand Rapids, Wood County, Wisconsin, Thursday, November 10th, 1892. Crazed by Tobacco, actor Lysander Thompson sent to Bellevue for examination as to his sanity. 
New York, November 5th. Lysander Thompson, for nearly 25 years an actor in Palmer's Companies, has been committed to Bellevue Hospital upon the application of his wife for examination as to his sanity. His last appearance on the stage was in the Depew Opera House in Peekskill, in his old character of the Doctor, in Jim the Penman. Although he had played the part many times, he broke down completely on that occasion. He is an inveterate smoker, and his affliction is ascribed to the habit. The actor's fund is taking care of him, and he will be sent to a private asylum if necessary. Murdered his wife and killed himself, Laporte, November 5th. The dead body of Mrs. Coon Gaw was found on the banks of Clear Lake this morning, and the body of her husband at the home of his parents, a mile distant, about the same time. Gaw had murdered his wife by stabbing her twice and shooting her three times after enticing her to the lonely spot where the body was found. Returning home, he had committed suicide by taking rat poison. The couple quarreled often because of jealousy and had been married four times, being divorced three times. Ga's brother is now serving a life sentence for wife murder. Love affair at the bottom of it. Rockford, Illinois, November 5th. Later developments throw additional light on the mystery surrounding the suicide of Judd Johnson Wednesday evening. He had been keeping company with Miss Lou Dunham, a well-known young lady of the city, and undoubtedly meant to murder her before killing himself. She refused to accompany him to Beloit and be married, but had consented to a meeting with him Wednesday evening near where his body was found yesterday. She heard he had been drinking and did not go. Prisoners burned to death. Sonoma, California, November 4th. The city jail burned early this morning. Two tramps arrested for drunkenness were burned to death. Their names are unknown. One was an Englishman, aged 21, and the other was Irish, aged 30. It is supposed the prisoners set fire to the jail themselves. He is a raving maniac. Little Rock, Arkansas, November 4th. A.W. Bennett, whose alleged negligence in delivering an order caused a collision here a day or two, in which a fireman and an engineer were killed, is reported to be roaming the woods a raving maniac. The coroner's jury held him responsible for the death of the two men. Bennett is 50 years old and has a wife and a large family. And finally, murderer wing at large. Louisville, Kentucky, November 4th. Albert Wing, who murdered his wife here Tuesday night, has not been captured. He was headed toward the river when seen just after the murder, and he has dropped so completely from sight it is feared that he has committed suicide.
The sensational coloring was given the affair yesterday by the publication of a story to the effect that on their wedding night, Wing and his wife entered a compact that should either prove unfaithful, the erring one should be killed by the other, and that the murder was simply the result of her guilt and the carrying out by the husband of his part of the contract. This has been another episode of A Guest at the Past 1892. Until next time.